Faith builds the church, and the church is the body of believers, building a theocracy through works of faith by means of evangelism. In short, evangelism is works of faith performed by believers as a church, which establishes a theocracy. The church can and ought to be considered a corollary of faith. Faith Quantified forms a fund that finances Western theocracy. The mission of the Apriorian Evangelist Foundation is to promote Western theocracy through works of faith that builds the church. The church being the people of faith guided by a mission which is the establishment of Western theocracy. If your church is not directed towards the establishment of Western theocracy, what is it supporting? Evangelism, faith, and the church all work together to build up Western theocracy. Works of faith are defined as specialized ways of adding value to the church. The church is the institution that establishes Western theocracy. Western theocracy is built on faith and manifests faith in works of faith that build up the people of faith. Eastern theocracy is a far different thing from the Western form. The Eastern form of theocracy is grounded in a regulatory environment. The institutions of Western secularism reflect the Eastern theocratic model and are not part of Western theocracy. The legal and regulatory environment of the liberal democratic state is directly inherited from the Eastern theocratic model. There are only two paths a society can take. These two paths are so fundamental, so far-reaching, and so diametrically opposed, those who take one path are by this act divided so substantially from the other that two races emerge, each with their own way of living, their own social niche. Being diametrically opposed to one another, the list of differences dividing the two groups is substantial. One group is logical, analytical, based on faith and a priori reasoning. Western theocrats think deductively, moving from the particular axiom or proposition to establish a set of deductions. Eastern theocrats are believers in law and ethical systems. This means they are dependent on the use of force to ensure compliance with their ethics. But immersing themselves in a physical existence niche means they are cultural relativists and a posteriori thinkers that consider truth to be relative, contingent, and probabilistic. A posteriori reason observes then abstracts principles from the many observations. As mentioned, Eastern theocrats are what the Bible calls people of the flesh. They are of the flesh because they are phenomenalists and rely on their five senses to tell them what is real, which makes them enemies of the people of faith. Western theocracy views reality as analytical and truth as absolute. The relativity of Eastern theocrats poses a problem they rarely acknowledge, though their best thinkers are not unaware of the problem. Metaphysical truths must be acknowledged. Contingent systems cannot be maintained because it is theoretically impossible to have absolute relativity. If truth is contingent, then truth is a lie or contains lies or is tantamount to a lie. It is logically incoherent to claim all truth is relative and metaphysical statements are meaningless. The same problems arise when talking of ethical systems. Ethical rules are nothing more than an opinion turned into a regulation by fiat. Without the ability to enforce compliance, a regulation is just a statement without judicial significance. If we have two different regulatory bodies both issuing laws and these laws conflict with one another, what recourse do they have? Where do they find legitimacy? There might be a judicial authority who could adjudicate between them, but this begs the question. 
We need to ask what would we do were there two judicial bodies, both claiming jurisdiction? Regulatory authorities for all their august accoutrements are not qualitatively different from the schoolyard bully imposing his rules and opinions on his less aggressive counterparts. Ethics is totally dependent on physical coercion to validate the ethicist position. The ethical ruler is analogous to a boat captain with absolute authority over all in his craft. Ethical systems are moot and insignificant without power sufficient to enact and enforce them. Under an ethical regime, might makes right and the end justifies the means. Ethical regimes have no other recourse than to rely on physical means to enforce ethical doctrines. This is their weakness and strength. Many ethical regimes do attempt to minimize opposition to their regulations. This includes invoking mystical concepts such as the will of the people and a more prosaic answer to unrest, democracy. However, a couple of caveats must be provided. There is no will of the people and therefore no legitimacy in the mystical power of people and groups. Indeed, democracy has little or nothing to do with the supposed will of the people and everything to do with legitimizing Eastern theocracy. Indeed, theocracy has largely been abandoned in the West because we are familiar with the Eastern model and do not like it, which is why it is introduced through the back door of democratic government. Western theocracy is founded on faith. Eastern theocracy reflects the needs of the flesh. Liberals have been successful in swapping out our ideas for theirs. They take our concepts and reissue them with their content. Think of it as putting new wine in old wineskins. The new formulation does not really fit the mold, but the West has made a career out of compromise. Too many are willing to negotiate with the devil. But herein is the problem. All of us are faced with two types of theocracy, the Western and Eastern conceptions. But these are the only choices we have. Western theocracy, as we have mentioned, is founded on faith and the Eastern model relies on ethics to produce various kinds of regulatory environments. This means that God is, depending on your theology, a moral or ethical being. God works through logic or rules. The basis of reality is either coherent or arbitrary, which means reality is composed of information or artifacts that need regulating. But Christians know our God is not a God of confusion. Let's look at the situation more closely as the two-reality hypothesis is the key to understanding the war we are in and how it is being fought. We can say something like, God is good, and from this we can extract ideas about what good means and therefore learn something about the nature of God. Or we can make a rule or prohibition such as, Thou shalt not kill. This does not tell us much about God or the author of the prohibition. It might be surmised that such a God is moral, but if he also declares we are to kill all the worshippers of Baal, men, women, and children, is this God or his commandments still moral? Perhaps we can find a legitimate reason for the commandment. But as the rules proliferate and life becomes ever more complicated by the need to remember and observe endless rules, any concern for the legitimacy of the rules or joy at following them fades in a legalistic obsession with obeying the letter of the law. Nor is it that difficult to fathom how rules can conflict and generate irresolvable moral dilemmas. It is easy to imagine a situation in which the truth will, if told, cause great harm to an innocent person to the benefit of an evil agency. Ought we even to reveal a workmate has spent time in prison to others? 
To resolve the issue by looking at which is the least harmful or produces the least harm is hypocritical and self-defeating. If it is up to us to decipher the relative merits of laws, the laws lack relevance. Ought you pay taxes when you can do greater good if you donate money directly to a number of good causes? The law against murder has no moral virtue if by causing the death of another, I can acquire great wealth with which to do immeasurable good. And so it goes. A law is absolute, or it is reverted to an opinion. Thus the attempt to murder Hitler was considered a crime, to be punished by the death of the conspirators. All law is an emotional reaction to a situation, which has been put into a statement that by the means of an office, becomes a regulation. It is the power of the office that turns the regulation into an enforceable and enforced law. The power of a law does not flow from its moral virtue. Without the physical power of a legislative authority to enforce it, a law is a wish. The state can seek the endorsement of its subjects through the holding of referendums and elections, but the key to the rule of law is the military might of the state. But in the end, what have democracies got? When all is said and done, the biggest voice with the biggest weapons and the greatest willingness to use them always exercises the greatest power. What is absolute power over life and death and total control over your life? The answer is God. The answer is always God. There are limits to the rule of man, but that is not what we are discussing here. There are rulers whose word is law, whose will cannot be politically resisted, whose mere wish is a command. The divine right of kings turned monarchs into the voice of God or the representative of God on earth. Pharaohs were gods in their own right. There are many examples of this, too numerous to mention. It is academic to say absolute rulers cannot turn back the tides or make the sun stand still. God can do the things man cannot, but such miracles are not a daily occurrence. In terms of our day-to-day -day life, the autocrat has more impact than God. There are many persons in many places who prefer to offend God and their religion than face the wrath of a despot. Faced with the immediate prospect of you, your family and your posterity being wiped out for all time, would you be swayed by the future prospects of your soul? The fact we can negotiate with God's law or think we can highlights the nature of the law and its weakness. We are always more worried about the immediate penalty than one we might be able to evade. The power of the law is its immediacy. If one infringes the law and immediately faces a penalty, the law has great influence. If one infringes the law but will be punished only in some distant future, the power of the law becomes greatly reduced. We do not know for an absolute fact if infringing God's law will result in a certain and draconian penalty. But we are quite aware of the peril of infringing man's law. Thus, theocracy as a system of law is weighted heavily in favor of the immediate penalties invoked by the state. This is the advantage Eastern theocracy has had over the West. The East works through the immediacy of human law. If the truth be told, laws that are left to God to enforce have little impact on human behavior. Who worries about thinking ill of his fellow man, though the Bible likens this to murder? Thus the theocracies we know are invariably human-devised sets of rules enacted and enforced by human governments. This setup is what is known as an Eastern theocracy. The claim is made that the laws of the theocracy emanate from God. The laws may have their source in what is called divine literature, but it is a state that has the guns and jails and legitimizes and enforces the laws, divine or not.
Eastern theocracy is a law-based system that rests on human agencies for its existence. This is what the Bible calls the rule of the flesh. Eastern theocracy is a system that is predicated on the ability of a human agent to give voice to the regulations enacted by the system and enforcement power to give the rules legitimacy. The other choice we have is faith. What this means is that there is a degree of trust between persons. With an Eastern theocracy, trust is moot because there are armed men with guns to force compliance. It is not that there is no trust in an Eastern theocracy, it is that faith is irrelevant. Eastern theocrats reduce the cost of compliance, but the legal apparatus remains in place to ensure compliance when not given voluntarily. It is also obvious that in an Eastern theocracy, the true source of the law is moot. Whether it is from the mouth of God, from a scribe, prophet, or from a disingenuous bureaucrat serving a demagogue, the law is written, legitimized, and enforced regardless of its source or ordained legitimacy. In short, whether from man or God, the law is enforced the same way, to the same degree. The only alternative to being under the law is Western theocracy. Even with Western theocracy, we are faced with a similar dilemma. Regardless of whether we believe in God or not, the reality is, if we do not trust each other, our faith is moot. Indeed, it makes little sense to opine about the depth of our faith in God if we will not let down our guard when meeting another person, especially a person of faith. If we have faith, we have to trust others. This is why Christians need the church. The church serves as a filter. Not many immoral persons are likely to embrace faith for any length of time. There are exceptions, but they are rare. But then, the established church is not what the Bible would call a theocracy. At minimum, Western theocracy is without law. The law poses a problem for Christians because law is the polar opposite of faith. If you embrace the law, you are rejecting faith. Western theocracy is not so much an anarchist institution as a moral community. If we are in the church, the law ought to be moot. Faith is inversely proportional to law, therefore those who live in the law and by the law live without faith and those whose life is governed by an increasing body of regulatory enactments have their faith destroyed. That is why the faithful are told to separate, but will you, do you even want to? Because living in Western theocracy divorces believers from the seeming security of the law.